Hey, you're about to hear a great word from our teaching team. At Freedom House, we're about equipping you to experience Christ's freedom every day. We would love to connect with you. We stream our live services Sundays at 10.30 and 12.15 Eastern Standard Time. You can join us at freedomhouse.cc live. I hope you enjoyed this message. What is up, Freedom House? Man! Welcome to church today. There is nothing like being in the house of God and looking at all you beautiful people and all the amazing people that are online right now. Welcome. We got all over the world is joining in. China, come on somebody. Germany, Ireland, the Ukraine, Alabama, Arizona, Colorado, DC, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina. I got a text that South Carolina's on. Indiana, is that, wait. ID, that's Idaho, right? Or Indiana. Which one is it, y'all? Idaho, Idaho. Sorry about that. Idaho, Illinois, North Carolina. Man, so good to have all of you joining us and so good to have everybody here in this room today. For those of you who I do not know yet, who have not gotten to meet, my name is Penny Maxwell. Uh, My husband and I are the senior pastors here at Freedom House. Uh, He is at our South End campus today. Pastor Joel is at our Lake Norman campus, and I get to be here with you guys and hang with you all today, so I'm pretty stoked about that because we're kicking off a new series called The Flip Side. What does the flip side mean? Well, it means that there's a perspective from heaven, and then there's a perspective from earth, and I thought the best way to explain that to you was to read to you the scripture that quantifies that. Isaiah 55, verse 8, it says this, for my thoughts, they're not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. In other words, there's this contrast, there's this juxtaposition to heaven and earth, and what happens is, is oftentimes heaven will try to invade earth, but if we've got an earthly perspective, we won't know what to do with that. You see, in the Bible, it says, hey, you want to live? You want to truly live? Well, you got to die. Now, what does that look like? For those of you who are married, you know what that looks like. You got to die a thousand deaths in a marriage because, see, God doesn't put us together with our spouse for our comfort. He does it for our growth. There's a continual dying to ourself, dying to our own needs, dying to what our flesh wants in order to truly live. Some of you are really wanting to throw the elbow right now, but you still want lunch this afternoon, and you realize that if you throw that elbow, it might compromise your lunch today. Then we also read in the Bible that if you want to receive, you've got to learn how to give. You see, it's opposite of what the world would say. The world would say, if you want something, you better hold on tight. You better hoard. You better do everything you can. Whereas the kingdom of God says, live open-handed. The world says quite the opposite. I mean, there's this juxtaposed gospel that we've got to understand that in order to walk out what God has for us, our natural mind is oftentimes not going to understand. You know, in the kingdom of God, if you want to be great, if you want to go high, you got to go low. 
But see, the world would tell you, if you want to go high, you better step on everybody. You better get everybody else out of the way. If you want to be the top dog on the pile, you better throw some elbows. You better get up there. Everything that the world would say is not always what the Bible has to say. That's because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And oftentimes we find ourselves living an earthly life instead of a kingdom life because we don't quite understand how that works out. I wanna read to you some different examples in scripture because you literally can't go through one chapter in the Bible and not see that contrast between heaven and earth take place. Every time I flip through a page, I'm like, man, my natural mind can't comprehend this, but my spirit inside is leaping up and down going, man, there's more than what I'm living. So let's dive into this first scripture in Mark chapter 6, in verse 30. It says, then the apostles gathered to Jesus and they told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to where, what does it say? All right, say it real loud. I'm not, it's not a trick question. They went where? They went to a deserted place to rest a while. For there were many who were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitudes saw them departing and many knew him and they ran on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and they came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. How many of you know sheep need a shepherd? And I'm here to tell you that even shepherds need another shepherd, right? We say around here, without a pastor, you'll have a disaster. Sheep need a shepherd, and these sheep didn't have one, and Jesus was moved with compassion for them. It says, when the day was now spent, his disciples came to him and said, hey, Jesus, this is a what? It's a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Why don't we send them away, send them away, so they may go into the surrounding country and villages to buy food for themselves, bread, because they've got nothing to eat, because we are where? We're in a deserted place, Jesus. So Jesus looks at him, says, but he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. So what you see here is you see Jesus trying to insert a little bit of heaven into their earth. He's saying, well, you feed them. But they're thinking this is a deserted place. Heaven is trying to invade earth a little bit. And they said to Jesus, okay, well, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Well, a denarii was a, a, a day's wage. So 200 days at minimum wage, let's just say, in today's standards, you're looking at $24,000. So Jesus, are you wanting us just to go take this money and go buy bread for the crowd in one of the other countries and then bring it, haul it back here? Is, is that what you're suggesting? Earth. Earth. They're, they're thinking earthly. 
So Jesus says to them, okay, let me insert some heaven back here into this equation. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, we have five. And then we have these two fish. We have a number two combo from Long John Silver's. That's all we got, Jesus. It was a little boy's lunch. Says, then he commanded them. He's bringing heaven back in. He commanded them to make them all sit down in the groups on the green grass. And they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, he blessed it, and he broke the loaves, and he gave them to his disciples. He set it before them, and the two fish he divided among them all, so they all ate and were filled. Then they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Scholars would go on to say that when they were counting and numbering, even when they would do a census, that they would count the men knowing that there were women and children included. So they are estimating about 20,000 people here were getting fed off of two loaves, or five loaves and two fish. 20,000 people. Does it sound like something my mind can comprehend? Does your mind comprehend that? You see, what happens is when we allow heaven to invade earth, it is contrary to what our thoughts are. Our math and God's math are not the same thing. So what he's saying is he's saying, listen, you can be in a completely deserted place and you can be completely filled. How many of us could use that today? Because see, some of us, we're in deserted places right now. Maybe in our marriage, it feels a little dry. Maybe our finances or our checkbook feels a little dry. Maybe some of our relationships, they feel just a little dry. Maybe emotionally, you feel a little dry, or maybe your body, physically, you got a report and things are looking a little deserted. But what God is saying is when I come on the scene, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways, they're not your ways. They're opposites. They contrast. When heaven meets earth, when the super meets the natural, So he's saying, don't think of it like earthly standards. Think of it, what I'm trying to download, what I'm trying to give to you. Because not only can I fill you in a deserted place, but there will be so much overflow that you will have baskets and baskets and baskets left over. So just because you think you're in a dry place, watch what I can do right in your dry situation. I love how the Bible is just constantly contrasting what our natural mind. You see, because truthfully, most of us, we can only go where our eyes take us. Most of us. We only go where our eyes take us, not our faith. But you see, faith is seeing what you cannot see. Why? Because heaven has already seen it. You will never, ever see it here unless you first see it here. 
So many times we want to do the opposite. We're like, Lord, if I can take my hand and put it in the, the nail holes on your hand, then I'm good. He's like, no, 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 no. You trust and believe. Just like you remember Indiana Jones when he was getting ready to step out and he's like, got to use his faith and then the staircase comes up underneath of him. Did I just date myself? How many of you remember that? Okay, all right, just making sure I'm just not too old. I'm just saying. You know, when I think about this, how things are contrary to, to what we would think, I remember in the early days of starting Freedom House and coming this September 8th, so in a week, we will be 16 years old. And so when we moved to Charlotte and we packed everything up and we left Richmond, Virginia, it looked a little foolish, right? I mean, here we had this beautiful five-bedroom home, good jobs, all the family, everything was going good. And God said, sell it all off, get rid of everything. Go live in this townhome where all your kids are piled up, share in a bedroom, and, and give up everything that you now know because I've got something for you. Now, that looked a little crazy. Most people were like, what are y'all doing? You, you've got a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and an eight-month-old. And we put them in the car when we would drive up and down this one street, you know, believe in God for the church that was gonna be Freedom House one day. We felt like God gave us a word and pointed to a particular piece of property that he said was our land. So I remember our little kids, their chubby little fat hands, we'd say, stretch the hands out as we would drive by. We're like, you stretch those hands out and you pray with us. And we'd say, Jesus, and you'd hear them in the back going, Jesus, we shank you, Jesus, that's our land. And we would just pray every time we would go by the land, every single time. And we maybe at this time, because we did this for a while, at this time maybe we had a little handful of people in the church and we'd drive by and we'd keep seeing it and saying it. And um, we saw that this one day they had uh, put a under contract sign up across our land, across our sign. The nerve of them. And so we, we called the real estate agent was asking about it. And we were like, hey, um, we noticed that this land went under contract. He said, yes, a developer bought it and um, it's going through rezoning right now. And my husband says to him, but it's our land. <laughs> and he's like, I'm sorry, who are you? And he goes, we are Freedom House Church. And God told us that was our land. And he's like, well, I'm sorry, but there is a contract on the land and developers buying the land. And who are you anyway? We are Freedom House. And we just started and we got a handful of people. But you know what? God can do big things with a handful of people. And he said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but it's, it's under contract. And so my husband said, well, just remember my words. He said, okay, I will. Have a good one. Couple weeks go by, we see the under contract sign come off. We thought, did somebody peel it off or did something fall through? We call the real estate agent again. The real estate agent says to us, hey, uh, yeah, it did fall out of contract, but another developer came in, and so another developer has this. So I, I just want you to know, hey, it, it's not your land. Somebody else has it and they don't need to go through all the rezoning and things like the first people did. So I just want you to know it's, it's over and done with. 
And my husband said, well, if you remember from the first time that we talked, it's our land. So I just wanted you to know that it's our land. And if to take it a little further and to be even more creepy, because we were being a little creepers, right? We're like calling, stalking the guy. We find out who owns the land, and it's a doctor by the name of Dr. Mello, a dentist here in town. So we decided that Dr. Mello needed to know who we were. So we looked up his practice. We decided to take a little stop by his office one day just to let him know who we are and that he owns our land and that it will be our land one day. So we thought that was a really great idea. So we go into his dentist's office. He wasn't unkind, but let's just say he wasn't rolling out the welcome mat, right? He said, I have an agent for a reason. And we said, yeah, but we're here for a reason. We just want you to know that God said this is our land and we just wanted you to be aware. And he's like, well, it's under contract. And we said, we know, we just wanted you to meet us and we wanted to just let you know what God had told us. So we get in the car, we go back home, couple weeks go by, um, we notice the under contract comes off yet again. So we call the agent again. And by this time, the agent is annoyed with us. Do you know? Because we are being so stalker. We're just like watching, because we drove by the land every day, right? So we're watching, we're stretching our hands out, we're praying, our little kids are praying. And so we, we noticed the sign is off again, the under contract, so we, we called the agent. The agent's like, listen, this time it is really a done deal because the polymer company right behind the land, they need a buffer because the government's been on them a bit. And so they're buying this strictly for a buffer and they're paying cash and they don't need anything to go through the city or any approvals. So I'm just telling you, you're out of luck. The polymer company is buying it and we're actually gonna have a quick close. And my husband says, well, it's our land. I just want you to know. And he said, well, you can take that up with the polymer company. <laughs> Lo and behold, a few weeks later, we get a call from the polymer company. They actually say, hey, we're closing in exactly two weeks. Everything's been done and approved. We just want you to know that we will sell you a portion of the land if you would like it, but we're gonna have to give you some stipulations because we don't want you to build certain things. It can only be this big and only for this intended purpose and all this. And my husband said, no, no, let me, let me help you understand. God said it was our land. <laughs> and... When God gives us things, he doesn't put strings attached. So he said, we're gonna get the land and we're gonna get it free and clear without any stipulations. And the guy said, um, sir, if you don't take the land, what we're gonna do is we're gonna break it up into little bitty pieces and we're gonna sell it off and we're gonna keep the back portion as a buffer. And my husband said to him, do what you must. That's how things landed. So here we are just continuing to drive by, stretch our hands out, just praying, thanking God for our land. Few weeks more go by. We get a call, not from the polymer company, not from the agent. We get a call from Dr. Mello. Dr. Mello says, hey, um, the polymer company said to call you because they wanna back out of the deal. They said it's your land.
And he said, um, and to be honest with you, this has been dragging on so long that if you guys don't go ahead and buy this, I'm gonna lose my tax break that I'm gonna get and we're gonna be past the point of where I get my tax benefit, which is the whole reason I'm selling it in the first place. So he said, I need you guys to go ahead and buy this land because we didn't need to have it rezoned. And my husband said to him, well, great. The only problem is, is, you know, our church is really small and none of the banks want to deal with us or even talk to us. So Dr. Mello, would you finance the whole property for us? Three contracts, no money, but Dr. Mello said, it's yours, I'll do it. After I have my accountant go through your books. <laughs> that is the land that you are sitting on right now, nearly 30 acres of land. Back before 485 came through, the price of this land shot through the roof you see, we weren't smart enough to know what God was up to. God just said, will you trust me? Even if you look a little foolish, and I can promise you we probably did, but God will use the foolish things to confound the wise. And you know what else is such a testimony is when the favor of God is on your life, it trickles off onto other people. Well, what do I mean by that? I mean, Dr. Mello, two and a half years later, came back to us because we were getting ready to finance the, the land actually with a bank. We were gonna pay him out. That was the deal. We had three years to do it. So we were at the two and a half year mark and we were getting our financing in order to pay him off and have a bank take over the rest of the loan. And he says to us, he says, I have to thank you guys. And we're like, thank us? And he said, yeah, because the economy tanked and all of my life savings went up with the economy in the stock market. But because I financed your loan, every dime that I had with you guys, every single penny, seven figures worth, was saved. Something that looks so impossible, so outlandish, so preposterous, in the natural, we have no idea sometimes what God is doing in the supernatural. He's trying to get us the answers that we need, but we stop short because they don't line up with what our brain says. What would it look like if we just trusted God and took him at his word? If we just said, God, we're gonna believe you and trust you no matter what it looks like. Speaking of land, there was a story in the Bible I love about a piece of land. It was called the promised land. The children of Israel were told they could have this land. It was the land of Canaan. And God actually spoke to Moses and said, Moses, this is the land that I have given to you. You see, for 400 years, there was five or so generations that had, had grown up in slavery and that was their mentality. They'd always been under the hand of someone else. And God brings the, you know, the Israelites out from underneath the Egyptian control, brings them into the desert so he can take them to the promised land. 
But something happens. You see, he's got this great promise for them. But, but sometimes, how many of you know that you can come out of Egypt, but sometimes Egypt doesn't come out of you? So he leads them out of Egypt, but they're struggling with their past. They're struggling with a poverty mentality. They're struggling with what they've seen with their eyes because of their own experience. So here they are. God is saying, I've got something for you. I've got this promised land. And let's jump in and read what happens. Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to go spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, every one a leader among them. The Bible says that 12 leaders were picked, one from each of the heads of the tribes of Israel, 12 of them. They went out into the land to spy out the land, right? They're like incognito. They're like covert operations. Let's go in and check things out. Let's see what's going on in the land of Canaan. And they get in there and they're like, okay, okay, we're gonna check out and see how fortified the city is. We're gonna look at how thick the walls are. We're gonna see, you know, is the land fertile? Is the soil good for us to grow crops in? How many inhabitants are there? Are there few? Are there many? What does it look like? What, what, what are the people? What are their skill sets? I mean, I mean what, what kind of things, if we came up against them, would we have to consider? Is there forest or is there flat grounds? Let, let's take all this stuff into consideration. And then they come back and they bring this report to Moses. And we're gonna pick up and read and see what they say. Numbers 13, 26, it says, they departed Canaan, they came back to Moses and Aaron, all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran of Kadesh. They brought back word to them and all of the congregation and they showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly, truly flows with milk and honey. And here is the fruit that we brought back. And they bring back, the Bible says, so much fruit that several men had to carry it. It says the grapes were so huge and so massive in clusters that they had to tie them to poles, one man on each end, just to bring them back. I mean, that's something they hadn't experienced before. You see, they'd grown up as slaves. So they're looking at the promise, they're looking at the fruit, and they're going, man, we've never experienced anything like this. I mean, did you, did you see that fruit? Did you see how huge it is? I mean, those great clusters. I'm gonna try to hit, let me see if my old softball days will come back, come on. There we go, back row. Did you see how big those grapes are? I mean, those things are massive. We haven't seen anything like that, and not only the grapes. Man, did you see the pomegranates? Did you see the figs? Those things are massive. All right, that little boy wants one. Let me see if I can get it right to you. Let me see. Oh, a little off. Let me try one more time. 
One more time. All right, stand up for me. There we go. We're going to get this. That's close enough. All right. So they're, they're just overwhelmed by the land flowing with milk and honey. It's everything that they had ever heard about. You see, they, they had this dream when they were in Egypt, and now they're out of Egypt. They're out of slavery, and, and they even get a glimpse of what the land looks like, and it's provision. But then something happens right after they talk about all the milk and honey and the fruit in the land. It says this one word, but nevertheless... Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell in the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. I mean, there's great fruit in all. Yes, the fruit is plentiful. But did you see there's giants in the land? Did you see how fortified those cities are? Did you notice all the opposition? You see, because with opportunity, there is always opposition. Then something else happens. It says, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses. I love that. He's being a leader right now. He quieted the people before Moses and he said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw giants like the descendants of Anak. They came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Do you know what I find so interesting about that? Several things. First of all, they were spies. They were undercover, so how did they know what anybody else thought about them? They're saying they looked at us like grasshoppers. They thought we were grasshoppers. That's not because of something they told you. It's actually because of what they said right before. Is in our own sight, we felt like grasshoppers. You see, here's the deal. When you feel like a grasshopper in here, it will cause you to misread everything else out here. When you feel small inside, that's your filter for how you perceive life. So they're saying, they looked at us like we were small. No, they didn't. They didn't even know you were there. You were spies. And and let's just talk about this for a minute. The Bible says that 12 leaders of the tribes went out. 
If you're a leader, you better know how to lead, especially when there's giants. That is not the time to shirk back in our responsibilities. But out of 12 of them, 10 of them brought back a negative report. Only Joshua and only Caleb brought back a good report and said, we can do this, we can take the land. In other words, 83% of the leaders said, we can't do this. I think that's actually what's going on in our country today. There's a lot of leaders who are stepping back because the perception of a giant nearby. Because they're thinking the, the walls are too high or too thick. But that's what leaders do, right? Don't they lead no matter what? The other thing that I find so interesting about this is if you go back to the very first scripture that I read to you in Numbers 13.1. I want to read this to you again. Put that up for me. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Was there any question whose land it was supposed to be? So why you let giants scare you off when God said it was yours? You see, you've always got to go back to what did God tell you and hold on to that because that is what will get you through hard times when you face a giant, when things look really big. Go back to what God had already told you. Why didn't all 12 of the leaders, Joshua and Caleb remembered it? Why didn't the other two go, hey, you know what? There are giants. Hey, the walls are big. Hey, there's a lot of people. But God told us it was ours. It doesn't matter. They, they didn't do that. Why only two? You see, what can happen if we are not careful? We can let earth's perspective take over when heaven's trying to invade. I mean, wouldn't it be great if all there was in life was only grapes I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? But that's not real life, right? We've got to learn with opportunity comes opposition. And how do we handle it? How do we handle opposition when it comes at us? You see, I think what happened here is I think that these 10 who got a little negative they started spreading that negativity. And then before you know it, all of the children of Israel started going negative too. You know, that's what happens with negativity. Just a little bit, it's like cancer. You've probably seen that in your workplace. You might have seen it in your neighborhood. You might have seen it at your kid's school. A little bit of negativity is like a cancer that gets in and spreads. And here we are, we're watching as the, these 10 people literally infiltrate millions. And then before you know it, the millions of people, they're going, we gotta get rid of Joshua and Caleb because they're gonna take us somewhere and that might be, be our death. 
So they tried to find stones to kill them. The, the two that had the good report. You see, when you're a leader, sometimes negative people will come and try to throw stones at you. But I just want you to know, let it go because that's not your battle. God will take care of it just like he did here. Those 10 actually dropped dead of a plague. And God looked at the rest of them who participated willingly in the negativity and said, because all of you were negative, you will not enter the promised land. As a matter of fact, you're going to have 40 years out here in the desert wandering until you all die off. Because I don't want that negativity spreading. So then when those 10 leaders who are supposed to be leading drop dead, everybody now looks at the other two. But God's like, no, 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 no. They're like, okay, well, we'll go in with you. We'll go in and possess the land now. No. I already told you it was yours. You got sour grapes, right? You're not going in now. You're going to have to die off out here in the wilderness. The thing that is so amazing is that when it is time for them to come in and inherit the land, they had a whole new, fresh thinking, positive, encouraging group. Whole different set of people. You know, the reason the other group died off is because they heard from heaven, but they were living from earth's perspective. And oftentimes, they're contradictory. They're juxtaposed. But can I just tell you this? The reason the ten weren't interested in the grapes and all of that is because they were grasshoppers. Grasshoppers don't eat grapes. But mighty men do. You see, when people start to go negative, you can tell, you can tell, because see, they look at your grapes, and they're upset, because you've got grapes, and you're like, but I stood against the giant. You didn't. You, you've got a bowl full of fruit. Your life is looking a little better than what my life looks like. Well, I stood against the giant when the giant came. You see, every single one of them was promised the same thing. But not all of them took God up on the opportunity. It's the same thing with you and me. We can't get mad at what somebody else has, their marriage or what their family or what their kids or what their house or you name it. You can't expect a harvest on seeds you've never sown. But it's so easy to want to look at somebody else's grapes and us get sour grapes over it. We don't know the price they paid. We don't know the giants they've slayed. We have no idea. And you know what I've determined? I've determined that greatness will always take you to the land of the giants. Greatness will always take you to the land of the giants. And I've also determined this. You see, the first giant I faced or the first 
situations we faced when the church was early. Man, it just seemed like giant after giant after giant. But you know what happens after a while when you're used to facing giants? You look at them a lot differently. They start to not scare you anymore. You start to get a little more experienced and you start to, when you work your faith out and you realize faith is like a muscle, the more you use it, the bigger it gets, right? And when you start to walk that out a little bit and you start to see God working and moving, there's a Godfidence that comes in you, right? And, and when a giant comes along, you look at the giant and you're like, you're nothing but an uncircumcised Philistine. I can take you down. And you know the other perspective you can have of a giant? You're just a bigger target for me to hit. Just made it a lot easier for me to hit you because hit you, you're so big. It's really all in our perspective. Because see, all of us are given the same opportunity. It doesn't matter who or what is against you. If God is for you, that's all you need. Doesn't matter the inhabitants of the land. As long as we make sure that in our sight, that we see ourselves appropriately, so when heaven comes calling on us, we see ourselves through the lens of how God sees us, not through our failures or our mistakes or our mishaps or anything else. I just, I'm a firm believer that when you get a word from God, every decision in your life, every decision in your life becomes a really easy decision. When God told us to pick up and move to Charlotte and sell everything we had and our kids were four, two, and eight months old, it looked foolish, y'all. But we had a word from God. God told us to do it. So whenever there was a deserted season, a dry season, a season of pain, or a season of grief, or a season of lack, or a season where we were just hurting over something, when you go back to what God said in the beginning, it makes all your decisions super easy. He either said it or he didn't. And if God said it, that settles it. I, I see people quitting things. And I, I want to say, if you get tired, take a break. But don't quit. I, I am going to be one of those people where I am not going to sit in my rocking chair and count cars like my grandparents did. I am gonna, until every breath in my lungs is gone, I'm gonna be declaring the word of God. There's too much to do to shrink back in fear. The world needs leaders who will rise up and take their place and be immovable. What if we, as a church, did that? What if we rose up, no matter what the world threw at us, no matter what came our way, we said, God, we are confident in you because, yeah, there may, 
there may be some giants in the land, but God wants you to go for the grapes. Will you stand on your feet with me? I love what happens when you keep reading of how Joshua and Caleb actually take the new generation in to go invade Canaan. And when they get into Canaan, the first city that they are to take is the city of Jericho. And they're battle ready, right? I mean, they're going in. They know they're going to do battle. So there's this perspective they have of what the battle looks like in their minds. And so they go in and Joshua and Caleb say, uh, just right now, all I want you to do, just walk around the walls. And they're walking around the wall of Jericho, just kind of looking at everybody else like, okay, we're supposed to be in battle right now, but they're telling us just to walk around the wall. Okay, now he's saying, I want you to, to praise and to sing and, and to play your instruments. Okay, I thought we were supposed to be going into battle right now, um, but I'll walk around this wall because see, last time we got a bad attitude, we watched what happened, so we're gonna keep on walking. We're gonna keep on walking even though my mind does not understand. This doesn't look like warfare or battle that I've seen. God, we had a word from you and I'm gonna keep on walking. So they kept on walking around the walls of Jericho and then something started to happen. They started to hear something underneath the surface. Something underneath the ground started to rumble. And then before you know it, all the problems they were facing, all the walls that seemed so high, they began to fall and they began to crumble. And they realized that His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. All they had to do was march and pray to see the battle won. And they were figuring out some other way in their head, but God had it. God was taking care of it. What if you and I today, no matter what wall seems so high, no matter what deserted place we seem to be in, what if we could worship our way through? What if we could worship the walls down today? Let's just do that for a minute. Will you just lift your hands up? Just stretch your hands up to God. You're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let you never No matter what it looks like, God, you won't let me down. joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe. And hey, if you want to find out more about our church or how you can be a part, go to freedomhouse.cc.